Top of the morning to you, church. We are in the final part of Colossians. Colossians 4, and we're going to read from verse 2 to the end. Um, and it's really fantastic because if I was writing a book to a community in the time of Paul, what you do is right at the very end of the book is you summarize everything that is of importance in two to three verses so that they can remember everything. And then you do an expanded greetings and farewell. Now, this conclusion actually links into the start of this book, the way that Paul is praying for them. He hopes that the same prayer is going to be reciprocated towards him. So let's get into it. Colossians chapter four, starting at verse two, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains and pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now we go on to the final expanded greetings. Tychius will tell you about the news of me. He is a dear brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant of the Lord. I'm sending him to you to express um, with the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he might encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a name that sounds familiar, a faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Astachus, sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him, and if he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is also called Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers in the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God and may become mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send their greetings and give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, please also read it to the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus um, to send, uh, see to it that you complete the work that you have received from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hands and remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, what you want to do if you're writing a book to this church in Colossae and you want to do good rhetoric is you want your paratio, P-E-R-O-R-A-T-I-O, to be clear and concise so that they can remember everything that needs to happen. Okay, this is like the punchline. If you were a, a Baptist preacher, this would be your three-point sermon, okay? Um, and that can take one of five different shapes. You could do an argument. You could do a, a, an enumeration. You could do a proposal of policy. You could do an interrogation or you could make it ironic. Now, in this particular case, Paul is going to focus on two themes – Prayer and behavior, the idea of deeds and the idea of words in public. And he does this in verses 2 through to 6. So devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, a 
a more appropriate translation of the Greek here might actually read, um, occupy yourself diligently with persistent attention paid towards prayer. Okay? And that's really significant. This is a community that needs to define themselves by prayer. Okay? And pray for us too, praying for other communities, that they may open it, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, in doing this, Paul is asking for them to pray for him to do the things that they should also be doing. Um, this is part of the narrative of what Paul is trying to unpack. Let me give you all the things that I wish you to pray for me with the assumption that you too will actually be doing these things. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, the goal here is to establish with these people prayer and a behavior deeds and words that are to be performed in public, okay? Because obviously here we're trying to answer everyone, that we should be wise in the way that we act towards outsiders, kind of reiterating what has already been addressed with uh, the mystics and the traditional Jews in the area. Paul is really doubling down on this. And and I think the way that I, I kind of best understand this is, is that I think what we see through COVID for a lot of churches is a crisis of identity. Is it by being forced to shut the doors to your church in, a, in an effort to protect people from COVID, it has, it has forced all church communities in some way, shape or form to dig deep and go, what is our identity as a church? Um, yesterday, while... I took the kids out for a bike ride. I had the opportunity to meet a neighbor that I hadn't met before. Now we knew his children and we knew his wife, but I'd never had an interaction. So appropriately social distance while we were exercising, I had an opportunity to talk with this individual and it came out that I was a pastor at a church and it, you know, there's always a, there's a, there's a nice platitude of, Oh, that's wonderful. And I said, is it? I said, what do you know our church for? because I'd just been reading through this passage. What, what do you know our church for? He says, oh, I don't know your church. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, sorry. I go to Northgate. And he's like, well, I don't know Northgate. And I said, yeah, this is one of the challenges of churches right now is that a lot of people in a community could not identify anything about our church. And he's like, well, where are you? And I said, oh, you know, we're on the corner of Weirden and Forest Way. And he's like, ah, the church with the big billboard. And, you know, one one isolated incident doesn't make a case for what our church is known for, but for this particular individual, our church is known as the church with the big electric sign out the front. And it got me thinking, how do we change that narrative? Because what Paul is doing here is he is establishing the tagline for this church. Imagine if I was having a conversation with this guy yesterday and I said, yeah, I'm at Northgate Church. I'm one of the pastors there. And he says, oh, man, you guys are prayers? It's like it's extraordinary. Every time I meet someone from Northgate, they're just 
praying. They're passionate about prayer. That's what they talk about. And, and they're always, if I'm ever confused about something as it pertains or relates to Jesus, they're willing to kind of expound on the mystery of Christ. And I find that really encouraging because it's always so clear. And, and, and what I love is, is that there's such wisdom that you guys show when you act towards outsiders. And, and the crazy thing is, too, you just take every single opportunity you possibly can um, to engage with outsiders. I mean, you're such an outward-focused church. And, and let's be honest, every single Northgate person I've encountered is gracious and compassionate and loving Oh, I don't even know if I can explain it right, but it's almost like people from Northgate are salty. And I don't mean like mean salty, but like salt of the earth type people that that seem to give off a real profound saltiness for Jesus. Is is that a thing? I don't I mean I don't know how to explain it any, any better than that. But and they're not like know-it-alls, but they always seem to have a good answer. Is that your church? That's unbelievable. Love you guys. Imagine being defined like that. Paul makes it really clear for these communities. It starts with prayer. You are defined by prayer. And you're defined by your behavior and actions towards outsiders. Where are you putting the energy? Are you doubling down on those mystics in the area and the ascetic suggestions that they are throwing at you? Are you seeking to be more religious so you can be more Jewish? Or are you really trying to wrestle out what it looks like to reach out in your relationship towards outsiders? What do your deeds look like what does your speech sound like? And how robust is your prayer? And this is really significant because your attitude towards prayer gives an indicator for the condition of your heart. So if you are gracious and if you have an attitude of gratitude, then your prayer is no longer a shopping list full of requests and pleas, but rather is an overflowing joy of all the good things that God is doing in your life. And if you are occupying yourself diligently and paying close attention to, so you have a watchfulness, then you have a real spiritual attentiveness to what is going on around you as opposed to a spiritual complacency. And, and in doing this, if you start to bundle these things together, there's an undertone of expectancy. There's an expectancy that God will do great things. There is an expectancy that God will fuel this return to prayer over and over and over and over again. Where does this expectancy come from, though? Well, it comes from fully understanding the, the mystery of Christ. You see, um, the big term is 
eschatological, but the idea is um, what happens in the end is that if we go to heaven and heaven is delightful, wonderful, and extraordinary and all the things that God has said that it is, then there is an expectancy and excitement of that coming. But if we find ourselves giving a laundry list of all the things that are wrong, then we are not seasoned with salt and we are not full of grace. That there is a distinct gratitude that is lacking. You see, it's very easy to be a critic and assassinate with your words all the things that you find wrong. It takes a little bit more work to walk into a place and set a new tone. That I might be joyous and gracious regardless of what's going on around me. That I may be a person passionate about prayer and invested in that despite what's going on around me. It's different to walk into a room and point out all the things that are wrong with it. Anybody can do that. Anybody can be a critic. It takes a different energy and effort to walk into a room and set a new tone. And what Paul is establishing for the church in Colossae is let's set a new tone for the entire community. And it starts with prayer. And it starts towards those, those deeds, those behaviors that you do in a public setting. Now, the second half of this relates to a whole bunch of different people that are serving in the community. But the, the one that I really want to dial in on is verse 9, where it says, He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. You see, one of the significant things about sending a messenger with the with the the message <laughs> that's what a messenger does is that they they aren't just uh, the post office. They aren't just delivering the message. They are actually very aware of everything that has been written in the message, and they're, they're designed to actually help kind of expound that message to a church is that they are an extension of Paul. Now, the reason I want to look at verse 9, he is coming with Onesimus, that, that Tychius is traveling with Onesimus. And both of them, if you look at the passage, say he, he is a dear brother and a faithful minister. And then verse 9, Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you, this is really significant because if you think back to the start of Colossians, the book that we did just before Colossians was Philemon. And Philemon was a conversation and a plea with Paul and Philemon to receive Onesimus back as a brother in Christ. Now, why is this important? Because it's not actually expressed here. There is three books being taken here. One is a letter to Philemon. 
Okay, now the fact that Tychius is coming with Onesimus means that Onesimus is part of this journey. The second letter is obviously to the church in Colossians. And then the third letter, which unfortunately we don't have and there's a fair bit of speculation on, is the letter to the Laodiceans, okay? Now, this all happens at the same time. And what Paul is establishing in this book is in light of everything that I said before, I am anticipating that a person who was a slave, who has run away and taken from his owner and should be put to death, is now no longer a slave, but a faithful and dear brother who is one of you. And not only that, he is the extension of me bringing you and expounding to you everything that I have written in this letter. Not only that, I'm assuming that he is then going to go on to the church in Laodicea and tell you some more and then expand this even further to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. It's extraordinary. Is that right here at the end of the letter in a final greeting that we often dance over is that there's this establishment that there even is the potential and the possibility that while they are in Colossae and at the church there, Philemon is present and hearing this expounding of the gospel from a slave who should be put to death and is now a faithful brother and minister of Christ Jesus the very embodiment of the transformation that comes in knowing Jesus. I, I want to I say that, you know, as, as we work through this transition period and we look to define ourselves and we look at what it is that we stand for and we work through these things... Be prayerful and be wise in how you engage with the community. It's a really great place to start. That you might be gracious, that you might be seasoned with salt, that you might know how to answer everyone. I think that there's this real crisis for a church in figuring out who your identity is. Who am I as a church? But what we could get to is a place where people go, for sure, for sure, this church is gracious and seasoned with salt, is set apart and different. And that's my encouragement to you today. Devote yourself to prayer. Be a person who is occupied diligently and persistently paying attention to prayer. Pray for others. Encourage others. When, when you wash something, you don't, it's a dirty cup. I don't put my hand in and scoop out the juice. What I do 
is I take clean water and pour it into the dirty cup. And if you do that, it's called a dishwasher, with great fervor and great passion, like the jets are in the dishwasher, then you blow the old dirt out. And so if you wanna make a dirty glass clean, you don't pick at the dirty bits and criticize the issues. You pour in an abundance of good stuff. Pour in an abundance of prayer and pour in a vigorous passion that starts with graciousness and wisdom in how we minister and speak to outsiders. That's what Paul is asking of the church at Colossae, and I think it's a healthy thing to ask of our church in this season. So let's do what Paul does and let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise and we celebrate you and what you have done through Jesus. Lord, that we might be full of grace and wisdom in our approach to outsiders, that we may be seasoned with salt and prepared to give answers that celebrate and point to you. Lord, that we might be a community that is passionate about prayer and is praying all the time and is praying passionately and is praying with fervor and gusto and love for this community. And as we traverse this season and all the unknowns and all the anxieties, Lord, that we might maintain the peace that comes through knowing you, that we might be an encouragement, that we might bring joy upon joy upon joy upon joy, that we might be celebrated, that we might be gracious, and that we might demonstrate your love in every single thing that we do, that we might be defined by that love. Lord, give us wisdom, give us mercy, give us grace. 